Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. In terms of the breaking news, a number of sources, outlets, reporters have this. At J.J. Jones 9, Jonathan Jones tweets, Deshaun Watson's settlement will be 11 games, $5 million fine and counseling per multiple sources. He is eligible to return versus Texans. Adam Schefter, moments later, tweets, Breaking, NFL and NFLPA reached agreement on an 11-game suspension for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson per sources. The settlement also includes a fine of $5 million. It will go to charity. Deal is still not signed, but it is agreed to. Jeremy Fowler is in. At Jay Fowler ESPN, quote, what became clear in Deshaun Watson's settlement talks per sources is Watson was open to paying a hefty fine to see the field as soon as possible. That was the goal and got the sense he would have paid more than $5 million to be eligible for half the season. So you start to get a sense of how that negotiation went, right? You know the best deals. The best deals are where both sides are unhappy. I would imagine both sides won't say so, but both sides did not get exactly what they wanted, right? I'm sure that initially, Deshaun Watson and the NFLPA were pretty happy that the initial penalty was six games and no fine. Obviously, that was not going to stand up. Obviously. The NFL initially, reportedly, was pushing for an entire season. So, do they meet down the middle? Not exactly, but 11 games, $5 bucks. I would imagine, to Jeremy Fowler's point, Watson probably did try to buy some games back. I bet. And they probably ended up on $5 million and 11 games. So, does the punishment fit the crime? 1-800-636-8686. You knew a settlement was coming, right? When Deshaun Watson, I mentioned this when I came back from vacation, when Deshaun Watson had done that interview in-house prior to their first preseason game, and he apologized finally, you knew a settlement was in the works. They were setting it up. He was apologizing for something that he had not been sorry for at all. So you know at that point they were talking settlement. In the case of whether or not the punishment fits the crime, always tough to say, right? The New York Times, for instance, had reported that one person said Watson, quote, got into the happy baby yoga pose. On his back, with his feet in his hands, and asked her to massage him between his testicles and his anus. She laughed off the request, but said he grabbed her wrist and put her hand there. You know, when, when you hear things like that, when you hear things like that, you wonder, quote, does the punishment fit the crime? Anyway, he's going to come back and looky here, he's going to play against the Texans in his first game back because that's not awkward. Not awkward at all. Charles Robinson is also in. Hashtag NFL and Deshaun Watson have a settlement in his disciplinary case resulting in an 11-game suspension, a $5 million fine, and mandatory mental health counseling. As part of the agreement, NFL and Browns will donate an additional 
$7 million to sexual assault prevention programs. All right, so that's an additional tidbit right there. You've got a $5 million fine going to charity and then an additional $7 million to sexual assault prevention programs. All right, so that is your breaking news. I'll take your reaction to it. 1-800-636-8686. My reaction is we knew a settlement was coming. Now they know what it is. They know how much time he's going to miss. And I would imagine that both sides probably are not very happy about that. The NFL wanted more. Deshaun Watson, the Browns, and the NFLPA wanted less. They thought they were getting less. And that's where they end up. $11 million. Or I should say 11 games, $5 million, and then reportedly an additional $7 million for charity and the cause. 1-800-636-8686. Needless to say, an extremely unsavory thing top to bottom. And then where does that leave the Browns? Do they ride this thing out? Do they try to bring in somebody else? It's 11 games. Not six, but 11. And they're built to win right now. There you have that. So that is your breaking news. We will get more on that as we go along. And I do want your reaction to it. In fact, I'll take your reaction right now. I like it. This is the thing about the program. I will always put aside what I want to do or what I think I'm going to do for breaking news and for your reaction. Iowa, a.k.a. New Mexico, is the first one through in tweets. This punishment does not fit the crime at all. The NFL once again screwed up, but why are we not surprised that they would fight deflated balls more than a sexual predator? So does the punishment fit the crime? I'll tell you, when you look at the details of what has been alleged... You can see why the NFL is pushing for an entire year. Absolutely. Jaime, the settlement shows you everything that is wrong about the NFL. The league and the players' union is A-OK with a sexual, serial sexual predator serving a pittance of a suspension with a minuscule fine. It's an absolutely disgusting outcome. I'll tell you something. They're lucky that this guy is going to see the field this year, given what has been alleged. And it was absurd to think that a six-game suspension and no fine was going to stick. That wasn't going to work. But they end up negotiating a settlement. This is a negotiated deal, agreed to by both sides. And again, I go back to what Jeremy Fowler reported I would imagine that absolutely Deshaun Watson tried to buy back a few more games. Given the amount of money that he's guaranteed, I bet if there was a sliding scale, 11 games, 5 million bucks. I wasn't there. I don't know. But if I had to speculate, I would imagine Deshaun Watson was probably thinking, 11 games, 5 mil. I want to get on the field as quickly as possible. How about I give you 7 mil and we make it 8 games? Cash for games. I bet there was a negotiation like that, and they probably ended up where they ended up. 11 games, 5 mil, and then an additional 7 mil from the team. But I guarantee, I would imagine without knowing exactly what the number was, don't you think it would be worth Deshaun Watson to buy back a game at even a million per? Half a million per? But now we know. Wells is in. I'm sure this will be the definitive tweet on the topic. Wells, 
After all, Willis is known for his serious takes on serious topics. Quote, if the NFL really want to punish Deshaun Watson this season, they should force him to play for the Chicago Bears. Even for you, Willis, that's a terrible take. Wells, Wells, just sit this one out. This is a very serious topic, serious nature, pretty serious alleged actions and crimes. Why don't you sit this one out, Wells? Why don't you sit out the rest of the program, Wells? Hey, Wells, you know what? Why don't you sit out the rest of the week? At Orlasco, Jimmo, a reminder, I wasn't fined or suspended. Signed, Pervin. All right, again, I'd rather this thing not come off the rails. Serious topic, serious issue, breaking news. Let's try to be responsible with this. Does the punishment fit the crime or not? 1-800-636-8686. Remember, the judge, Sue Robinson, concluded that he did engage in sexual assault. Kind of hard to put a number of games and a fine on that, right? But I do want to say the fact, you know, you know the NFL gets cute with some of their matchups. There's nothing cute about this, about him coming back against the Texans. That's me as awkward as hell. That's not one of those, oh, wow, what a uh, quinky dink. You know, like the NCAA tournament, some of those matchups, some of those personal matchups. There's nothing about that that's that. That is really awkward. Awkward at best, honestly. Awkward as hell, but awkward at best. So there is your breaking news. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. Good friend of the program. He is Bruce Feldman. Bruce, it's always good to have you on. How are you? I'm good, Jim. I appreciate the kind words. and uh, uh, You caught me off guard on the last part of that. But well, you, you earned that. You know I'm going to try and get to that as quickly as I can. But I want to start by talking. I mean, Bruce, I'd love to start by talking actual football. But the news in college football this morning is the announcement of the Big Ten's TV rights deal that totals more than $7 billion over seven years. How significant is that rights deal? And what's it mean for the conference and the sport going forward? I mean, it's crazy because, I mean, we're talking about it's, it's well over $7 billion, close to $8 million, $8 billion, I'm told. And um, on top of that, what you're talking about is huge take-home per school for all the universities. And I think, obviously, what really got the deal, you know, way, way over the top was the addition of the two L.A. schools, USC and UCLA. Um, I think what's really interesting about this deal, the way it sets up too, Jim, is at a time when we've heard so much about people not watching TV and streaming services and, and kind of the, the demise of linear television, this deal um, is so profound in that it kind of looks like it's, it goes in the other direction. And it just shows you how much of a premium there is on live sporting events. Right. It's just different. And that's where the biggest ratings are. And I think now you're going to see whether it's Fox in the in the noon Eastern hour 
and then obviously then CBS and NBC following up, you know, the Big Ten is going to be on a you know, major network television, you know, basically from from noon to 11 o'clock at night. And to have that kind of reach on big channels and, you know, with big markets, um, you know, it, it, it's something that is just different from any other any other TV deal in college sports. It's enormous. It's like 12 hours every single Saturday. Bruce Feldman joining us. Bruce, I want to ask you about Manti Teo. I had him on my podcast yesterday. I know you've seen the documentary. What do you make of that doc, and what memories did that bring up for you? You know, Jim, I went in. I was reluctant. I was like, I know what I need to know about that, you know, whatever. And I thought, and that the documentary just kind of blew me away. Um, it was sobering. I thought it show you know i came away with so much respect for manti teo as he came through all of that here you know all the people who who matter most into that whole you know tragic story as it was a a decade ago and to see how he persevered and what it did to him but how he's come through it um i don't want to give away like the last couple minutes of it but i thought what he said at the end of it you know, it was just remarkable. And, I, you know, I think if Manti Teo, you know, wanted to go in this direction, I think Manti Teo probably would be a very impactful uh, motivational speaker, especially to college kids, because we've seen a lot of stories and a lot of heartbreaking stories where, you know, and Manti Teo, you know, that which comes out of it is he didn't really, he didn't do anything wrong. He just became this punchline and it was such a fall that, you know, to watch him talk his way, you know, through it. And I think the documentary did an excellent job of setting up how Manti Teo was raised and kind of, you know, and maybe how he was so vulnerable to getting caught up in this, you know, just for a lot of reasons. And I just thought, um, you know, it was just amazing. It was an amazing documentary because you think you know and you actually don't know. And I, th- I just thought to hear from him, hear from his family, hear from Renaya and who Renaya is now, um, was really just kind of mind-blowing. I agree, Bruce. It's an amazing doc, and I had a conversation with him yesterday after that doc had dropped, and I could not be more impressed with Manti. Really, really impressed with Manti. Bruce Feldman joining us. So, Bruce, it's one of the best times of the year, not just because football is about to start, but because your annual freaks list is out. Michigan defensive tackle Mozzie Smith is number one on that list. What are the attributes that stick out to you the most about him, and how is he able to separate himself? Well, you know, I went in not expecting him to be a, you know, top 10 guy. And then the more I talked to one of their coaches and then they sent me a bunch of videos of him working out. It's not like the stuff you would see at your local, you know, gold gym or anything like that. I mean, we're talking about a guy who is 337 pounds. He bench pressed 325, not 225, 325 for 22 reps. The guy vertical jumped 33 inches, but then there's things that kind of made him above and beyond. They do these, uh, reactive plyo staircase they have and so the stairs are a lot steeper than what most people would have in their house or near them and the video people can if they go to the athletic they'll see the video of him just springing up these seven stairs how quick he did it and he did it really as fast as a guy probably more than 100 pounds lighter than he would then there's another aspect of it they have this combo twist machine that they had to get called the manufacturer. We can't get enough weight on here to accommodate him. So and the manufacturer 
really just said, well, there's nothing we can do. So they had somebody else specially make an adjustment to this machine so they could add 200 more pounds on for him. Um, so, you know, people can look at the videos on the freaks list this year and see the videos of his teammates reactions as he's doing some of these things. And you see just the awe that they have for what this freak is able to do. Um, you know, it was like, after I saw the videos, I was like, Oh, he's a, he's a, Slam dunk number one choice to be the top guy in this list. It is. It's incredible. Oh, man. Do I ever love this product? The Conair Turbo Extreme Steam Steam and Iron 2-in-1. So let me go ahead and tell you why I love it so much. Number one, it is the most powerful handheld steamer that I've ever seen. I'm talking fast and easy wrinkle removal, and I hate wrinkles. An extra-large sole plate that can be used vertical or horizontal, and it also works without steam, is a dry iron. How is this possible? Because of advanced heat technology, which is ready almost instantly, and it obliterates wrinkles with turbocharged dry steam. Plus, four different settings for delicate to turbo is perfect for all fabrics. And it kills 99.9% of bacteria, it sanitizes around the house, and it refreshes clothing. Easy to use and great for at home or if you're on the go. To get yours today, go to Amazon, search Conair Turbo Extreme Steam, and look for the steam and iron 2-in-1. Great, great product. Bruce Feldman joining us. Make sure, if you're listening right now, to check out the Freaks list. It's annual. It's out. It's always a great, great read. Bruce, let me ask you about college football opening up on Saturday, next Saturday. Nebraska is going to open up in Ireland against Northwestern. It goes without saying, but how big is that game for Nebraska and Scott Frost? It's massive. It's probably as close to a a must-win game as you can have if you're Scott Frost, where we're talking about basically two three-win teams. But you're going to be sitting in that window where it's really the only game that a lot of people may pay attention to. And after last year, they lost like a record number of games, close games, that you know you figure, okay, sooner or later this is going to bounce back for him. A lot of people close to Frost thought he was going to get fired last year. They gave him another year. It's not going to be cheap to get rid of him. But you're talking about a team, like I said, in Northwestern that was really bad last year. If somehow Nebraska loses this game, uh, I think it's going to be hard for people, you know, maybe even people in that locker room to come out of it and think when you make that long flight back from Ireland to, to Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, how are we going to bounce back from this? You know, and so I don't know if winning the game is going to get people to go, oh, yeah, this is because, I mean, they handled them last time, last year. But I think this one they cannot afford to stub their toe in this game, get off to a bad start. That's what happened last year against Illinois in the opener, and that was not a great team they lost to, and we saw how the season went out. They really need something good to happen very fast to start the season You talk about a long flight back, Bruce. Can you imagine that flight back after a loss like that? Before you go, I do want to ask you about this great piece you wrote earlier this year about coaching your son's peewee football team. Something that I think a lot of people listening either have done or think they could do. Never mind the actual coaching. I have to ask you before you go, what was the peewee combine experience like? What was your draft like? How did you approach it? It was kind of mind-blowing, Jim. I mean, I'll be honest. I never write anything very personal. This was the first thing probably I've ever done in my career. And I was, you know, blown away by the reaction to it. But the draft, the combine part of it, 
you know, we're talking about first and second graders, so seven and eight year olds. And so there's a 30 yard dash, not a 40 yard dash. They have them throw as far as they can throw in yards. And then there's, they get heighted and weighted. Right. And so, you know, trying to think about how this is going to work, what's a fast time. Like it's just, you're really scratching your head. I came away um, thinking after our first practice, I think we have the bad news bears team right here, you know? And I was like, my first round pick, I thought he ran a fast time. And then when I got out there, I was like, "Eh, maybe that was a typo, you know? So (laughs) it's, it's, he's turned out to be great. I think in part because our expectations were so, were so modest. And I also think because, you know, we just took the approach of, Hey, we're just going to try to be the most improved team. We didn't talk about winning and losing, but, you know, like I think for people who, you know, who've been through this with like peewee-aged kids, you're like, ooh, a draft is one thing, a combine is another. And, you know, you just try to keep it in perspective. And the, the one thing I – one of the things I learned, I thought, Jim, out of this process was the kids definitely take their cues from you. So if you are like really, you know, like frazzled or emotional or uptight or yelling or on edge – they're going to probably react that way. And if you're really calm and supportive and, and whatnot, then they're probably going to take their cues from that. And fortunately I've had a lot of, you know, a lot of good examples of coaches that I've talked to who kind of gave me decent perspective to go into it. And honestly, I'm, I'm really grateful that something I was kind of dreading to do at one point actually turned out to be one of the best things I've probably ever done. I was going to say, Bruce, I'm so glad you shared that. And I understand what you're saying when you usually do not go into really personal things. You know, that point about how the big takeaway was they take their cue from you. I get that. Let me uh, give you a spoiler alert. By the time they become teenagers, they don't give a damn what you think, (laughs) how you feel, and how you act. They just do their own thing. I know. I've heard that. And honestly, Jim, one of the things that came out of this was you know, I have 25 minute car rides with my son to practice yes. in the games. And that turned out to be some of the best experience because I know the time is going by fast and I know soon they're not going to want to spend time. With it's them. so funny, Bruce, you say that because as I let you go right now, I had a conversation recently with our 17 year old Logan and the ride couldn't have been more than seven minutes. And I gleaned more information and more about where he's coming from in terms of his head and his heart in that seven minute ride. So I know exactly what you're talking about and getting that 25 minutes where you're locked in with your son or your daughter is so important. He's a reporter for Fox Sports. He's a national college football insider for the athletic, the man behind the annual freaks list as well. Bruce Feldman. Bruce, always good to have you on the show you know i appreciate the relationship thanks so much always a pleasure jim thanks for having me so i'm in the business of asking people questions so let me ask you a question do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long fair question right dove men plus care dry spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48 hours of sweat and odor protection i said 48 hours That's a big number now. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use, especially when you're on the move. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps protect your skin as well, and it leaves your skin feeling comfortable and helps protect it. So much to like about this. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. A few minutes ago, I was talking about his statement, the statement that he issued before he met with the press. And I said that that apology and that statement were trash. I said they were garbage. Actually, that's, that's not right. That's wrong. 
it was so much worse than trash. It was so much worse than garbage. And I'm a wordsmith, and I'm trying to find the right words to describe what it was. And they're not coming to me just yet, but much, much worse than garbage. I mean, the statement in and of itself was terrible. (laughs) Terrible. But somehow he managed to make it so much worse by chasing it with a presser where he maintains his innocence. Go ahead, Albie. I've always uh, stood on my innocence and always said that I've never assaulted anyone or disrespected anyone, and I'm continuing to stand on that. But at the same time, I have to continue to push forward with my life and my career. And for us to be able to move forward, you know, I have to be able to take steps and put pride to the side. And uh, I'm going to continue to stand on my innocence and, and, and keep pushing forward. I mean, are you, are you kidding? That guy shows up on this day after they issue that statement. And I want you to listen to that one more time. He not only continues to, quote, stand on his innocence, but insists he never disrespected anybody. All, all but said, yeah, those things, I still didn't do anything wrong. But yeah, I'll say this so I can move on with my life and play football. Hey, Deshaun, instead of issuing a garbage statement and then making it a hundred times worse by showing up and saying that you're going to continue to stand on your innocence and that you never disrespected anybody, why waste our time? Why not just show up, wait for the assembled media to get ready, make sure the cameras are rolling, make sure every last microphone is on, and flip everybody off? Go with a gigantic bird. Go with the middle finger. I mean, that whole thing would be so laughable if it weren't so bleeping offensive. That, that is one of the worst press conferences I have ever seen or heard. Listen once again after that first statement. Because there is no ownership. There is no accountability. There's no remorse. There's no contrition. There is nothing. The guy literally chased all of that by, quote, standing on his innocence and, de- and explaining that he never disrespected anybody. This guy actually said this today. I've always uh, stood on my innocence and always said that I've never assaulted anyone or disrespected anyone, and I'm continuing to stand on that. But at the same time, I have to continue to push forward with my life and my career. And for us to be able to move forward, you know, I have to be able to take steps and put pride to the side and... Um, I'm going to continue to stand on my innocence and, and keep pushing forward. I mean, he made the point twice. I will continue to stand on my innocence. Exactly zero accountability, zero remorse, zero ownership, zero sorrow. Just, hey, are we done here? Can I get back to football? Can I move on with my life? Are we done here? Just know I'm not sorry because I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to continue to stand on my innocence. Tone deaf does not begin to do this guy justice. Can I tell you something? Not that it would have made it better, but this guy couldn't even fake it for a couple of minutes. This guy couldn't even pretend for a couple of minutes. He couldn't have even say things that he thought that we all wanted to hear for a couple of minutes. They can write that statement for him and then push it out on social media But when it came time to actually standing up, showing up, and speaking about it, 
What he came up with is, I stand on my innocence. Dude, if you're innocent, then why did you agree to that settlement? What are those 11 games for? What's the $5 million for? What's the additional $7 million for if you, quote, didn't disrespect anybody? If you're innocent. This guy's not sorry for anything. At all. At all. That is a disastrous press conference. I, I didn't think he could make it any worse after that statement. But he wasn't done. He had more to say. For everyone that was affected about this situation, there was a lot of people that was triggered. But not the women that accused you of this? I apologize to all women. So anybody that was affected, even yourself, every, everything. So I'm apologizing to everyone that was affected about this whole situation. Yeah, I don't think so, dude. Quote, I'm apologizing to everybody who was affected by this situation. There were a lot of people that were triggered. There were a lot of people that were triggered? Right. Sexual assault can tend to be a trigger, Deshaun. What do you mean you apologize to everybody? You just said in the same statement, in the same presser, that you stand by your innocence. I've always uh, stood on my innocence. Like I said, could that have gone any more disastrously than it did? In the same five-minute period, he's standing by his innocence, but, quote, is sorry for everybody who was affected. For everyone that was affected about this situation, there was a lot of people that was triggered. But not the women that accused you of this? I apologize to all women. So anybody that was affected, even yourself, every, everything. So I'm apologizing to everyone that was affected about this whole situation. No, you're not. You're standing by your innocence. He, what he should have done, honestly... It's just did something like this. Hey, is this thing on? Is this thing on? Are the cameras rolling? Can you hear me? Is this thing on? Actually, I don't need it to be on because I'm just going to flip you all off. And that does not require any audio. So you don't need to turn this thing on to get this double bird that I'm going to drop on all of you. I would love to say that I'm in shock by this, but I'm not. I'm not. Nothing surprises me, but that is a disastrous press conference. That, that could not have gone any worse. Once again, that guy couldn't even fake it. He couldn't even lie about it. He couldn't even pretend to be remorseful and contrite. He, no, he's standing on his innocence and that he did not disrespect anybody. I've always uh, stood on my innocence and always said that I've never assaulted anyone or disrespected anyone, and I'm continuing to stand on that. But at the same time, I have to continue to push forward with my life and my career. And for okay. us right, to be able right. to move forward. You heard what he just said. I'm standing on my innocence. I have never assaulted anyone. I have never disrespected anyone, but, and here's your payoff, I need to carry on with my career and my life. Go Browns! Let's play some football! LFG! Hashtag, didn't do anything wrong. Hashtag, standing on my innocence. I am shocked. And then again, I'm not. Once again, we don't know any of these guys. After all of this time. What, what kind of a statement is a lot of people were triggered? This guy. I need some reaction from you. 
888-789-8686. Also, hit me up on Twitter, at Jim Rome. Hey, Jim, how does a Browns dad explain to his young son, and more importantly, his young daughter, why their team's quarterback gets booed? And how is mom feeling about the family's expenses getting stretched to go and support an organization that supports said quarterback? Unwar fake apologies. Vance and Baco. Yeah, that's no apology. If you're maintaining your innocence, you're not apologizing. Dear Mr. Rome, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. Yours, Deshaun Watson. I'd like Watson. to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f- he wants. Seriously. I've always uh, stood on my innocence. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. James White. James, good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Really well. Really well. So you made the announcement last week, and then on Tuesday night, you and the team had a final presser. I'm curious, what kind of emotions were running through you on Tuesday night? I have a lot of different emotions going on, but it was you know, great having my family there with me, my teammates, coaches, you know, some of the you know, the other people that work in the facility that I've gotten a chance to get to know over the course of my career. But it's definitely a different feeling knowing that, you know, I'm not going to be back on the football field. But it's just a pleasure having all those people there to support me that have been supporting me this whole entire time. James White's joining us. You know, I would imagine as emotional as Tuesday night was, Bill Belichick was quick to remind everybody that when he saw you at the Combine, quote, (laughs) He wasn't big, wasn't fast, couldn't jump high. End of quote. I mean, knowing that, and you're kind of chuckling, but knowing that, how do you explain the career that you had and the impact that you had on this organization? Well, for me, I, I've never been a, a big test guy. Like, my numbers never, never ever really jumped out at, at anybody. But for me, I've always been a consistent football player, and that's when I pride myself on being on. And as a guy who's going to show up each and every day with the right attitude, going to be smart, going to take coaching, and I'm going to do things right over and over and over and over again. And let's see if somebody can do that more times than me. That's kind of what, what I've been all about and, you know, helping my team win football games. So I know a lot of guys, you know, have the measurables and all that. That wasn't, you know, my necessarily cup of tea, but I just went out there and played football and tried to play at a high level. James White joining us, you know, to that very point that you just made. Like, if we were to go back to your first season, you didn't play very much. You appeared in three games. You had five receptions and nine carries. You said after that year, quote, I had to look myself in the mirror and find ways to get better, end of quote. So how were you able to take such a big step from year one to year two? Uh, for me, uh, it was trying to get the nutrition right, uh, talk to the coaches, figure out what they needed more from me, what they needed to see for me in order for me to get out there on the football field, whether it was running the ball better, running better routes, picking up the blitz. And, you know, they told me it was like a little bit of everything. So I worked on everything and went out there that, you know, next OTAs training camp. We had like eight running backs like going into OTAs that year. So, I mean, I honestly was thinking I probably was going to get cut, you know, after 
the year I had the previous year. But I just pushed myself and, you know, to try to make the decision on the coaches as, as hard as possible. Uh, I ended up making a team. I was still not playing for the first few weeks, you know, until my friend Deion Lewis ended up unfortunately getting hurt. And then I finally got my opportunity. And I just, you know, tried not to look back from there. James White joining us. And you get the opportunity. I mean, Dude, you go from looking in the mirror and trying to find ways to get better and hopefully not getting cut to one of the all-time great Super Bowl performances in that comeback win over Atlanta. I mean, there's so many moments from that game, including the winning TD. But when you think back on the Super Bowl, what do you remember most? What kind of emotions do you take away from that? Man, I know I was extremely exhausted, <laughs> first and foremost. But uh, for me, like I said, my rookie year, I didn't play. And seeing those guys you know, win a Super Bowl my rookie year and having to stand there and watch, that was that was hard for me as a competitor. Obviously, I was really excited to be there. And, you know, I know those guys worked so hard to get to that point. But as a competitor, you just want to be out there. So I always said to myself, if I ever got the opportunity to play that game as a player, I was going to do, you know, whatever I could, you know, not try and do anything outside of myself, but do whatever I could to help my team win that football game. And, you know, we were trailing by a lot of points. And, you know, I'm in my role with the Patriots, I'm in the game a lot or throwing the ball a lot. So, and the ball kept coming my way, and you know, I was just in one of those zones where everything just happened to be going right. And I said, it wasn't just myself that won that football game, but I was just happy I could just be a big part to help my team win. And when you talk about being in the zone, I'm always fascinated by that, you know, whether you call it a flow process or being in the zone. Can you put yourself in that zone, or do you end up in that zone as a result of the way the game is going? I think you end up in that zone as a result of the way the game is going. It's you start getting in the flow of the game and you start getting a feel for things. And it's kind of like, it's kind of ends up like practice. Like you don't even realize the fans are there. You don't realize anybody's there, but you and you, your teammates and the opponents, and you're just out there playing football. And like I said, it just feels like whatever you do, it's, it's almost working. It's kind of a, a indescribable feeling, but I think a lot of guys who've had the opportunity to play sports, they kind of know what I'm talking about. James, that's incredible what you just said. Is that really how that was? I mean, you're on the biggest stage in the entire world, the biggest stage in the entire world. When you get in that zone, does it feel like there aren't fans, that that's not the stage, that it's just you playing ball? Yeah, I mean, like I said, when in the beginning of the game, when we were losing, I could hear everything. Like I could, it felt like I was at a at an Atlanta club <laughs> that, that first half, the way you know they're they're beating up on us. But when we got locked in and I got dialed in, like it, it almost seemed like it was – it was silent, and I'm just literally just out there doing what I have to do. Even when I scored a touchdown, it was almost like I didn't really hear anything. It's just kind of like I blacked out and was in a zone. It was just a crazy feeling. James White joining us. You know, every great athlete wants to be able to leave the game on their own terms, right? And so few get to because the game is so unforgiving. I'm curious, last fall you suffered a season-ending hip injury, and you were rehabbing that. My, my question is, could you have come back out and played this year? How did you approach that in terms of deciding, you know what, now is the time? Uh, for me, um, when I first got injured, I, I've obviously never been through um, – this series of an injury, you know, throughout my entire career, I was blessed and fortunate to be healthy, you know, throughout, you know, high school, college, and into the pros until <clears throat> this past season. Um, but when I first got hurt, you couldn't tell me I would have even tried to, you know, go back out there and play. But as the, the rehab process went on, I got more and more confident. I was able to work with, you know, a lot of great, you know, trainers. And shout out to my guy, David Reavy, who's in, who's in Illinois. He did a lot of great work on me to, 
give me the confidence to feel like I could go out there and play again. And I feel like I could have gone out there and played. I don't know if I would have been to the standard that I'm used to playing, and that was kind of the the thing that kind of pushed me to go into retirement because I didn't want to go out there and not be the same player. And, you know, my teammates are expecting a guy that they're used to seeing. My coaches are expecting a guy that they're used to seeing, and I'm not that guy. I've been, it's been hard for myself to put myself through that, and it's been hard for, I'm sure, for them to see that as well. So, and also I just want to do what's best for my body. Um, like I said, it, after a long week of workouts, it was, you know, getting hard for me to recover and feel back to normal after a long week of workouts. And I hadn't even, you know, actually been out there on the practice field getting tackled. And that's a whole other element of things. So I just wanted to play it smart and, you know, to try and make the best decision for myself and my family. And then, of course, the standard is the standard. Before I let you go, you mentioned the coaches. It's clear how much respect and love Bill Belichick has for you. At one point on Tuesday, he said, quote, it certainly has been an honor to coach you, James. I mean, that guy generally does not say things like that, not publicly. That was <clears throat> enormous to me. What was that like for you to hear that from him? It means a lot. As you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time, and like I said, I was extremely blessed to you know start my career there and finish my career there. I learned so much about life, about the game of football. I mean, he's going to challenge you if you're you know undrafted rookie, first round pick, all the way to you know whatever, 19, 18-year vet, like when Tom was there. So it's just a, a pleasure to play for him. Uh, like I said, try not to take any days for granted when I step into that building because there's a high standard set, you know, long before I got there. But it was the same standard that I, you know, held myself to for a long time. I think I learned that standard from my parents about, you know, hard work, discipline, doing your job, and, you know, anything worth getting, you got to work hard for so. That's what it was all about. So one last thought. I would imagine also when you talk about learning about life in football, I would imagine you learned a great deal about life in football at Wisconsin. I mentioned that. I say it because my son goes there. We have a home in the Northwoods in northern Wisconsin, so I'm really familiar with the Badgers. It still blows my mind that you, Monty Ball, and Melvin Gordon were all on the same team. How much did each of you feed off the other back then? Oh, man, it was awesome. Um Wisconsin's a, a beautiful place, beautiful campus. I, I love that place. Uh, I don't get back there enough, but I love it there to share the backfield with, with those guys, man. Those, they were special talents. I mean, they had a lot more success in college than, you know, than I ever had for sure. Those guys breaking Russian records and all things of that nature. But to have those guys in the backfield and compete with them, you know, you see them go out there and make a play. You want to make a play. And we pushed each other. We had a, a great running back coach and Thomas Hammock who made sure we competed at everything. And I think that was a big help to all of us. He pushed us to, to know the game and pushed us to compete and go out there and have great performances every week. So one bonus question, the, the rings, dude, the rings, plural, three rings. What do you do with the rings? Are they locked away in a safe box? Do you break them out on occasion? What are you going to do with the rings? I mean, the only time I've ever broken them out is for our ring ceremonies. Other than that, locked away in a safe uh I mean, they're, they're pretty big, so <laughs> try to keep those put away. <laughs> yeah, dude, they are pretty big. I've seen them. I've never actually had one on my hand, but they are pretty big. He's got three of them. He holds the record for most receptions and most points scored in a Super Bowl. A great, great NFL career. He announced his retirement last week. James White, my guest. Dude, really good to get caught up, James. Thank you very, very much. Congrats on an amazing career, and I hope we can do it again soon and keep talking. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate you. Let's talk about the Lakers for a minute. In the least surprising contract move ever, 
LeBron James gets a big fat two-year extension from the Lakers. They agreed to a two-year extension worth a reported 97.1 mil. It could rise to 111 mil if the cap does rise. And according to Woj, there's a player option for 2024-25. The extension for LeBron also makes him the highest earning player in NBA history. You know what? He should be. I'm fine with that. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. You can't argue with that. Nor can you argue with the fact that he was always going to sign that extension with the Lakers. Like, I know all those stories that popped up during the All-Star break that he might go back to C-Town, but that's not happening. Not this time around. And let's also be clear about this. Signing LeBron James to that extension does not bring the Lakers any closer to another NBA title. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Honestly, signing that extension doesn't change a damn thing. I have never seen a massive extension involving one of the greatest players ever in any sport that matters less than this extension. This extension means nothing because it's not a statement of anything. Like him taking that extension does not mean that he's only in it for the money. Just like him signing that extension does not mean that the Lakers are in win now mode. I'd even argue that either one of those takes are as bad or worse than LeBron trying to say that last year was not a miserable failure. Last year was a miserable failure. It was not a failure at all. Oh, it was. It was a failure, a miserable failure, and this extension changes nothing at all. All it means is LeBron is going to break the all-time points record in a Laker uniform. That's all that means. And obviously, that was important to him. More important to him than chasing another ring. Because if the ring is the thing, the guy wouldn't be in L.A. And, and by the way, I'm fine with that. I really am. I'm fine with that. Just don't tell me that the ring is the thing. If the ring were the thing, you would not have re-upped with a team that missed the postseason altogether. So no, that does not bring them closer to an NBA title. And that does not put them under pressure to win now. It's not like Rob Palenka waited for the ink to dry on the extension and then said, all right. All right, now we're going to go try to win an NBA title. So, Laker fan, I better not see one car flag on the road today. Nobody better be out here shouting, we're back, baby, we're back. Because you're not. You're not back. It's not on. And that extension means nothing. Palenka did not finish off that deal, crack his knuckles and say, now we go to work. They've been going to work. They've been trying to win an NBA title ever since the last one, and they have failed miserably. They can't be in any more of a win-now mode than they already have been. And they've somehow assembled one of the most comically inept rosters in NBA history. And by the way, the way it's constructed right now, they're not going to be much better. So no, that extension changes nothing. There's still a team that missed the playoffs last year. There's still a team that missed the playing games last year. There's still a team that has won two NBA playoff games since they won that championship. So signing LeBron was something they had to do this summer, but it doesn't make them better. All that does is spare an entire season of the rest of us having to listen to will he or won't he? Is he going to re-up or not? Which would have been the most tired thing ever and wrecked everything for everybody. That's the real win here. Not that he re-upped, but that he re-upped and we don't have to spend all year wondering about what was going to happen. 
they actually ought to have a parade for that in and of itself. Because they sure as hell are not going to have any parades for anything that matters. You know, because the fact of the matter is, the issue with the Lakers is not LeBron. He's got to stay healthy, but it's not LeBron. The issue is everybody who is not LeBron, including Anthony Davis, including Russell Westbrook, especially Russell Westbrook. And what's more hilarious than the speculation that LeBron still wants the team to move Westbrook for the part-timer Kyrie Irving? You know, the part-timer who already quit on LeBron once and probably will once again if he ever does show up here in L.A. because that's what the part-timer does. He plays when he wants to play. He says the earth is flat, and he wrecks teams. That's what the part-timer does. Not that LeBron really cares whether it's Westbrook or the part-timer because if he did, he wouldn't have signed that deal. Notice he signed that deal before they fixed that part of the equation. So LeBron got his. Fine. He deserves it. That's fine. That's fine. Just don't tell me they're better because of it. Because they're not. He's older. They're not better. They're still not better than Golden State. They're still not better than Phoenix. They're still not better than the Grizz. They're still not better than the Mavericks. Hell, that jacked up Clippers team last year finished nine games ahead of the Lakers. So what happens when they get Kawhi back? So they're still not better than the Clippers. Speaking of healthy, Denver is going to get healthy. The T-Wolves have got a really interesting new look. The Pelicans are getting Zion back. So where does that leave the Lakers? Yes, LeBron got his, but they did not get better. It does not change a damn thing. They still had the most disappointing season ever last year. And Braun is still responsible for wrecking the greatest movie ever made. I guess what I'm trying to say is, given that this was the biggest lock ever, nothing to see here. It changes nothing at all. And no, I'm not a parade guy. You know why I'm not a parade guy? Because parades go on in the middle of the day. And I have a job. I'm a has a job guy. That's why I'm not a parade guy. No offense, parade guy. But I'll tell you what. I'll play along. If I was going to be a parade guy, if I were, here's how I would handle this particular parade. Not the parade that's going to result because they're going to win a championship because they're not. That parade's never happening. I'm talking about the parade that we should have because they got this deal done so we don't have to hear about it every single week during the regular season. Now, I'll be a parade guy for that. And if I were, I'd be on the corner of Figueroa and Chick Hearn Court for that parade. I'd arrive the night before. I would sleep there all night just to make sure I get the very best spot. And then maybe somebody who's down on their luck, i.e. a bum, but there is no bum smack. Somebody down on their luck would probably roll up on me and tap me on the shoulder and say, Hey, friend, did the Lakers win a championship? And my response would be like, no. You think I'd be here for that trash? Nah, that's not what this is about, my friend. This parade is about celebrating LeBron signing his extension and sparing the entire world of an entire season of will he or won't he. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm a parade guy.
And believe me, more people would show up for that parade than the Rams parade. Or it would be a parade of one. Just LeBron on top of a convertible tour bus, 1942 in one hand, signed contract in the other hand, and me on Logan's shoulders holding up a homemade sign that reads, Oh! That's the parade. If I were parade guy. Me on Logan's shoulders, holding up a homemade sign reading, Oh! Mel Tucker is my guest. Mel, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, Romy. How are you? Good, good, Mel. So earlier this week, you were talking about camp, and you made the point, quote, at this point in camp, there is no turning back, end of quote. I bring this up because you had already given everybody a chance to leave if that's not where they wanted to be, and you reiterated something that a mutual friend of ours, you and I have in common, Mel, and Ben Newman likes to say, standard over feelings. How did the players respond to that message and that notion of standard over feelings? I tell you what, yeah, Ben Ben's a Ben's a great friend of mine, and he's he's uh, he's helped our program quite a bit. Uh, yeah, they responded well. You know, all of the guys that are here are bought in, um, and at this point in in, in camp, uh, you know, this is important for us to connect to our burn, and our burn is what gives us the inspiration to do what we do. It's our it gives us our purpose. It's the reason why, you know, we're we're, we're committed to staying in the fire, to uh, to staying in this grind. And, you know, the burn is different for all of us. But our guys have really connected to that. And we, and we encourage them to, to remind themselves, you know, every day, you know, in order to stack these great days that we need to have, you got to connect to your burn. You have to decide um, that, you know, you're going to get better each and every day, no matter what, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. And the guys have, have really bought into that and they've responded. And all the guys that are here, they're all in. And, that, and, that's, and, that, and that's the great thing about it. When you can get guys to buy into something that's bigger than themselves and be and be fully committed, and that's a special deal. We're talking to Mel Tucker. That sounds exactly like something that Ben Newman would say. He talks often about connecting to your burn, standard over feelings. I buy these things. I accept these things. But let me ask you this. For instance, you and I talk a lot about what it takes to have that right mindset. One of the things that you told the team earlier in the offseason was nobody has a starting job. Just because somebody was starting last year does not mean they are starting this year. It has to be earned and earned every single day. How did the players respond to that message? Well, it's the, it's the truth. And, and, they, and they know that that's, that's how I feel about it. And that's how we can conduct our business around here. Uh, it's all about you know, what we do next. What's the next right step? No one really cares about what we did a year ago. Uh, we didn't reach our goals a year ago. It was it was a step in the right direction, but we have to prove ourselves every day. Have to have a chip on your shoulder, you know. Know that we have something to prove, and go out there and get after it. There's no sense of entitlement for the for myself, any of the coaches, the staff, or any of the players. You know, we'll get what we earn. We're talking to Mel Tucker, Michigan State head football coach. You got a whole locker room full of guys, Mel, but let me ask you about Peyton Thorne. Set a school record for passing TDs last year. How much has he grown from last year to this year, and what kind of expectations do you have for this season for him? Well, yeah, Peyton's grown quite a bit. You know, he's a, he's a coach's kid. His dad's actually the offensive coordinator at Western Michigan now, and so that's, that's going to be – it's going to be – you know, it's going to be very inter- interesting to, to see that, you know, right out of the bat. But he, he, he's a guy that has really um, embraced um, 
a challenge of of leading and not just by example, but you know, confronting his 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 his, his teammates and demanding that they do things things properly. You know, and that's a different type of leadership. And that's what we need. We need to move more t- towards a, a player-led team and not just a coach-led team. And he's really taking it upon himself as a quarterback to say, hey, listen, not only am I going to lead by example, but I'm, I'm actually going to actively uh, bring guys with me by, you know, confronting them and demanding that they do things properly, demanding that, that, that they do things, you know, to the standard that they perform to the standard each and every day, and that's not easy to do. It's not hard to. It's not easy to confront your teammates. You know, it's not easy. It's not easy to be that guy. You know, because we all make mistakes. But you know, at, at the same time, if we're gonna if we're gonna have a great football team, you know, your quarterback's got to be that guy. And so he stepped up and he's doing that. We're talking about Tucker. In fact, Mel, let me just backtrack for one second because I think when I think about where I am at. And I'm not trying to make this personal, but when I think about where I'm at in my life and in my career, and I think about reinvention, I think about transformation, it, it really does start with that whole notion of standard over feelings. To me, that's like pillar number one. Can you explain exactly what that means, standard over feelings? Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't, we can't go about our business. We can't do things based upon how we feel. We have to do, do things. We have to make decisions based upon what needs to be done. And we don't always feel like doing what we need to do. Because you know football is a tough game. It's for tough people. It's not. It, this is not the easiest thing in the world to do. If it were, everyone would be doing it. And same thing in your profession. It's it's a high stakes uh, deal, and it's very competitive. Um, and there's going to be challenges. You don't always feel like doing what you got to do, but you know what the standard is, and you know what needs to be done, regardless of how you feel. So you have to make a decision, and once you make that decision, and then you go. And it does in that period, point blank, and that's what it's got to be day in and day out, every day, every day, you make the decision, and it doesn't matter how you feel, you do what needs to be done, and you keep stacking days like that. And when you can, when you're in that mindset, and that's just how you operate, and you can, you do that, then now, now you're cooking with gas. Now you can accomplish what you want to accomplish. Now you can keep, you can keep, just keep climbing and just striving, just and, and moving towards your goals. You know, you can you can you can get things done. You you have control over your mind, and it's not based upon your feelings. In other words, Mel, you control your mind instead of your mind controlling you. If you do this long enough, and you do it consistently enough, and you stack enough days like that, does it then just become automatic? Well, you know, you, you I, I, I'm not I'm not sure if it's if it's, if it becomes automatic, right? Because it's it's, it's 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 difficult to do, you know. I think I think you have to stay connected to your burn. I think you have to always uh, commit and recommit, decide and decide again. You know, it's the choices and decisions we make on a day to day basis. I mean, we're human beings, you know. So we always have to push. You know, inconvenience, you know, is a good thing, you know. But and and we can't ever be comfortable, you know. And so we're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to be we're going to be inconvenienced as human beings when when that when that when when those, when you feel that way. There's a tendency to take your foot off the gas. There's a tendency to, to seek some type of relief and seek some type of comfort. And when you're in those situations, typically you're not getting better. You know, so I don't think it's ever really going to be automatic, but it is a habit. No, it, I appreciate it is that. A, it I, is a habit, and when you create when you create great habits, 
I think that gives you the best chance. Sorry to jump in. I agree with you. It's not automatic. It's never automatic. There's always going to be those days where you don't want to do it. That's why you have to have a standard over feelings. The point that you made, Mel, was you have to stay connected to your burn. You know, you you and I can't take somebody aside and know what their burn is. They have to determine what their burn is. So let me ask you, what is your burn that you're connected to? Well, I, I have I have quite a few. I don't know if we have 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 enough time for that. Um, but I do uh, want to leave a legacy, you know, uh, here at Michigan State, um, you know, and for my and for my family, for my my two boys, you know, I, I want to leave a I want to leave a legacy. I've been blessed with um, some talent, some ability to do what I do, um, and I and I don't want to leave anything on the table. I want to maximize my full potential. Okay, and then when it's all said and done. You know, I, I I want people to to look at me and say that this this guy this this guy he got it done in a major way, and and he and he had a positive effect on a lot of people. He changed the game. That's and that and that's and and that's a part of my burn. Mel Tucker is joining us. Speaking of changing the game, and I appreciate your burn. I know you're focused on your gig, but how much does the expansion, Mel, of the Big Ten and the announcement of the new TV deal add even more momentum to the work that you're already doing in Michigan State? I think I think it's I think it's huge. I think it's positive. It's great exposure for for Michigan State. You know, in our conference, um, you know, we recruit nationally. Uh, we've got players on our team. You know, from the west from the West Coast. We got players on our team from 22 states, different states. We have over 600,000 living alumni across the country and worldwide. So our brand is all over the country, and this this is just just magnifies what we're doing. It enhances our exposure uh, in recruiting, and and so uh, it just it's we're just it's a bigger stage. It's a bigger stage, and so you know I think it's a great thing. We embrace it. And, and it's something that there's going to be some challenges that come with it. I think they're all they're they're all going to be uh, they're all going to be challenges that we that we can that we can we can uh, attack, you know. And it remains to be seen like how how this is going to be. But in my mind right now, you know, the bigger the better. Michigan State's going to open up their season on September 2nd against Western Michigan. He was a Big Ten Coach of the Year, led Michigan State to 11 wins, that top 10 ranking, and a New Year's Six Bowl win. In other words, a huge year. But to hear you say, Mel, you got to start from scratch. you got to do it all over again. Great to have you back on the show. Mel, you know I appreciate you, and I appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Romy. Thanks for having me, man. Have a great weekend. You too. Good night now!